So we are stepping into a new series and at just the right time. So our Gaining Ground series was meant to help us reflect on the critical times that we're living in through the coronavirus and how that connects with thoughts about our eschatology, about the end of time, and the anxiety that comes with it. I know by the, by the end of that, many of us are tired of speaking into the reality of what we are living through with this pandemic. Like, please just stop. However, one of our end statements is that we're going to be relevant to time and place and what God is doing in the world and what is happening in the world, and that's big. So we're gonna do that. But there's a quick note. The virus has not ended. And regardless of whatever else is happening in the world today, there is this global pandemic that is happening. It has affected our churches, it has affected our families, and it has affected our lives. And I need you to take care of yourselves through this time. Give yourself a break, relax, have a Sabbath. Continue to physically distance yourself, but don't socially distance yourself. Let people know you love them. Take precautions when out. And let's let our witness be one of continued healing and help to those who need it. I know things are opening up, but as numbers spike in certain areas, I pray that you will all remain safe and careful. As well, many of us are facing economic hardship, and so we have to try and take care of each other in ways that we can. Check on the people that you love. Make sure they're doing okay. The, the world is also waking up to the ongoing travesty and wickedness of racism and its deleterious effects on our fellow human beings. As we mentioned last week, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. So we will begin and continue to open our ears and our hearts to the plight of our brothers and sisters. And we will allow God to search our hearts. For me, I'll tell you the truth. It has been a time of personal reflection, of reading, researching, fasting, and praying. It has been a joy and it has been literal pain. Recognizing deep avenues in, our, in my thinking and in my worldview that need to change can be hard. Understanding different perspectives and learning to see through the eyes of others means sometimes I have to quell my opinions to hear others' stories. This is not the work of a week, but the work of a lifetime. And I'm honored to be able to do it. As I have been on my knees asking God to search my heart, there is a profound truth that has come through. The authority that I call on is paramount. Most important in my life is Jesus. And how I learn about him is a deep and open search of scripture. And I do this in faith that God will show me a better way. I'm convicted more and more that our search for God's heart found in the way is found in the way we study and believe scripture is what will not only carry us through these hard times, but will change our hearts and change our perspectives. Our faith is both an anchor point in our lives and it is a catapult to significant change. So when we think about studying this book of James for the next 14 weeks, and I know that is a long series, I find myself hungry to see what Christ has for us in this book. Is it going to change me? Here's a question that I have as we begin, though. And I want you to take this seriously. 
Are you willing to have your heart changed? When a couple comes in for marriage counseling, one of the most important questions that I have to ask them is this. Do you want to work this stuff out? I mean, do you want to? Do you even want to be together? Without actually being willing to work it out, there's very little point of continuing on. The counseling won't work. So I'm going to ask you again. Are you willing to have your heart, your faith, and your life changed? Because if you aren't, if you just want to come and, and see some good music and, and hear some fine preaching and then move on, if you aren't, there's very little point of continuing on. And I think we've all sat in church with absolutely no intention of changing. I think we all have. And it has never been easier than it is today on this digital platform to simply turn me off and go about your day. Truthfully, if you think everything is fine in your heart and in your faith and in your life and there's no place for you to grow and if you just want things to stay exactly the way they are, then you might as well change the channel, turn off your phone or just continue scrolling on because your time has been given to you by God and it is precious and I don't want you to waste it. But if you're looking for a change and a structured and thoughtful one, one that's gonna take a while, if you're looking to, to work with God to help redesign your heart and your thoughts, then let's jump in. Then let's do this together. Our premise is that God wants to help us design a better faith, a better hope, and a better perspective on your life and how you interact with others. He wants to rebuild and regenerate your DNA to orient itself towards Him in all things and therefore just continue to create change and spiritual breakthroughs in your life. Real, honest, authentic conversations between God and you that breaks your heart as he remakes it. He does this by having the end in sight. You see, we can't always see it. So we have to be open to the change that he will build into us. If at the end of this series, your heart is the same and your faith is the same, then we didn't do the hard work of listening to God. Because God is a God that continues to move and does new things. But let's begin. We're going to start in the book of James. The author, he introduces himself much the same way Paul has introduced himself. By first acknowledging to whom his greatest allegiance lies. So turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So there's this greeting that begins. It says, this letter is from James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to, he says this, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Now, Paul would have said grace and peace, but James says greetings. He adds that he is writing to the Jewish believers have, who have been scattered abroad, right? They've been gone all over the place. After the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in 79 AD by Emperor Domitian, the Jews were scattered around the world. We know this to be true. And there's a word that we use specifically for this. We use the word diaspora to remind us of this time of a misplaced or displaced people. Now, James is going to talk a bit about faith and endurance and how those things work together. Why is he going to talk about faith and endurance? Because he knows that life is hard and we often lose hope. We also feel sorry for ourselves. We fight anger in our hearts about situations and we find and we are also that we, and we, we find and we realize that we're dealing with trouble. 
So he continues on in verse two. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, these things feel like strange bedfellows, don't they? We should consider trouble an opportunity for great joy because if that's the case, we should be the most joyful people on the planet right now. I don't like those things and I don't feel like those things go well together in my life. But remember, happiness is circumstantial. Joy transcends, or at least joy can transcend. Verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So a couple things are going on here. One important thing is that there is simply an assumption that there's going to be hard times and there will be hard times for your faith. Of course, your faith is going to be tested. Now, what is your faith going to be tested? How is it gonna be tested? So let's look at a few ways our faith is tested. I said that wrong, but you understand. Let's look at a few ways our faith is tested. The first way is this, temptation, and we know all about this, right? If we don't know about this, if we don't know about temptation, you need to go back and read scripture. The second way, and this one's a little bit different, is change. When significant amounts, significant amounts of change happen in our lives and in our worlds, our faith is tested and sometimes it's broken. Change is a catalyst, but it can also be explosive in our lives. Change is not comfortable. And that's the problem because the third way that our faith is tested is comfort. And, and maybe I need to linger in this one just a little bit. While change can scare us and test our faith, sometimes things staying exactly the same for too long are us becoming too comfortable with the status quo. Sometimes that's even a bigger test or bigger challenge to our faith. It becomes a deep problem. Why? Because you don't need any. Your faith falls away because everything's taken care of. And because everything's taken care of, then, well, what do you need to worry about? Some of my least faithful times was when I was working in places that were the most successful when it comes to ministry because I didn't have to believe in God anymore. We got it all done. We got it all taken care of. Everything's good. So I didn't really have to think about it anymore. Those three things, right? Temptation, change, and comfort. So, so, James sort of says, lean into it, right? In verse four, he says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So let's do it. Let's lean into troubles. Let's lean into the change and the discomfort. In this way, you will have to be more faithful. And while temptation is troubling, and while comfort makes us lazy in our faith, change is usually the hardest test of faith. Change in, I don't know, employment, change in status, a divorce, a death, moving, and a shift in worldview can be the most taxing on our faith at all. And, and that's, that's a bit of the problem, right? Because we have a worldview, we think the world works a certain way. But when we become Christians, we have accepted a different kind of worldview. We have, dis, we have accepted a, a spiritual worldview, number one, and a scriptural worldview, number two. Those things become our measuring rod. Those things become our anchor point as it speaks of Jesus. If we don't take that seriously, we have a problem with the very foundation of our faith because what do you have faith in? You've heard me say that a hundred times. This is not something new. The most important thing about faith is the object of your faith. And we find out about the object of our faith in Scripture. So if we're not taking Scripture seriously, then we're not really, really 
We're not taking our faith seriously. Now, in verse 5, it says this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. And he won't even be upset that you asked him. It says he will not rebuke you for asking. Like, he's fine. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question so many times you get annoyed? God's not like that. You see, you're not alone in this task. Ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. And he's not even mad about it. However, we've got a next part, and you might not like it so much. Verse 6 starts out like this. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is, un is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. This is one of those foundational truths to this text and to the whole idea of faith by design. It has to be you and God, and God has to be the one who is directing it. Be sure your faith is in God alone. Now listen, the rest of that verse, right? The second part of that verse where it talks about a wave in the sea, that's a perfect opportunity for us to put another surfing illustration in, but we're not gonna do that because I couldn't get to the beach this week to film. So no surfing. But let us not be distracted. These words are powerful. Be sure to put your faith in God alone. What in the world else would we put our faith into? And I want you to think hardly about, hard about this, not hardly, hard. Because there's a ton of things that we put our faith in. Some reasonable, some not, right? Family, friends, community, leaders, politics, worldview, education, expertise, and more and more because the list just keeps going on and on. So are we not to have faith in those things? I will say it this way, and I'll say it very seriously. We are not to have faith in those things over God. Because friends, that is idolatry. Your designed faith is only as good as the object you are designing around and for. Have you ever been to a house or a home or a structure that was designed around a tree? Because I have. I can't remember where it was. But it was the, just one of the coolest things. The whole house served the tree. And the tree thrived because of the situation. Now they could have just torn it down but rather they incorporated the tree as a central anchoring point, right? Everything happened because of that tree and it was amazing. Our faith is amazing if it serves God and no one or nothing else. And what I mean by that is, of course, we serve people, but our faith is to God and God alone. And then there's a bit of a rebuke, right? James says in verse seven, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And then he lets us know the outcome of being divided in your faith. It is tough. Nothing. So who do you have faith in today? Verse 8, he continues on this rebuke. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. He is really hammering this home. Because he understands that stability does not come from all those other things but it comes from the Lord. And when we listen to God, which is hard in today's world, there's a lot of noise out there with the deluge of information that is coming at us from every single side of every single issue. But when we listen to God, he is not only the peace in the storm, but the wisdom to move through the storm as well. If you're feeling stuck right now, it's because you're not listening to God. And then James says an interesting thing. We're looking at verse 9. 
He says, believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. God honored them. Does this mean that God doesn't like the wealthy? No, that's not what this means. But he's making a point and he'll make it again and again over the text over the next few weeks. God does not show favoritism. For God, wealth, status, or position are not measuring rods. Those are not the things that tell us whether we have faith or not and whether we're blessed or not. In fact, he says it next in the very next verse. And so it's important for us to listen to it. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Hmm. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. So God is blessing you or God is, God is honoring you if you're poor. And if you're wealthy, you should be humbled. This pushes back on all of our no notions. Rather than walking around saying we are blessed by God because of what we have, we should be going around saying we are humbled by God and want to use it to serve. The hot sun, verse 11, sorry. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Again, he's not saying he doesn't like the rich. What he is saying is that's not what defines you. What you have doesn't define you. And if it does, you need to look again because that's what you have faith in, not God. What James is doing here is reminding us that wealth is not something we will take. Our status and our positions are not things that we will take or define us. And it is not something to hold up as a banner of identity. In the end, all of it fades away. Love is all that's left. And family, we know this to be true. Because I see this in your sacrificial giving to the ministries of this church. If we're Christians, then we have a clear understanding of the temporality of our lives. In other words, we're contingent creatures contingent on Christ for our lives. When he created us, he created us, each one equal in his image. We're the ones who forget this, but God doesn't. And my heart is being opened and even broken this week as I'm coming to a greater understanding of how much God is invested in all of his people and how we, as people of faith, cannot be complicit in ignoring the plight of our brothers and sisters who are in pain and have been for years. And this might make you uncomfortable, and it makes me uncomfortable. But sometimes we won't allow God to change our hearts because we fear we have too much to lose. You know, last week I posed the question, and I thank you so much for being gracious with me with my emotion last week. But last week we posed the question, what do we have to lose by listening? And this week, God answered that question. We have empires to lose, but we have kingdoms to gain. We have empires to lose, but we have kingdoms to gain, the kingdom of God. Verse 12, to end it up, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let us love God. Let us follow him and allow him to begin to design our faith, reshape it, remold our hearts in such a way that his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Now, last week, as we went over our end statements, we realized that we had to have some crucial conversations. The pastors and staff at Crosswalk have been working on a process 
that will engage all of our media platforms, podcasts, Zoom, small groups, social media, and the like, putting together committees that have us look at these issues and will help guide these conversations and experiences across all our campuses, because remember, we're a, a complicated community. The complexity of our communities makes this more interesting to figure out. So thank you for your patience, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to engage in this manner. This has always been a foundation of Crosswalk. Today, I wanted to talk about race, racism, and the church. So I've asked Pastor Michael Kelly from one of our sister churches in Southeastern California Conference, the Mount Rubido Church, to come and have this conversation with me. Pastor Kelly's church is in Riverside, uh, a few streets from where my mother actually lives. And I think we've always sort of felt like kindred spirits in the work we do. He has kind of a contemporary African-American church. I've got a contemporary diverse church. And so we're gonna sit down and have a conversation. And I, I invite you to be with us for all of it. And I invite you to open up your heart to listen because that's what we said we would do. We would ask God to search our hearts and we would listen. Again, the empires that we belong to may fall, but if the kingdom of God is what is raised up in a more power, powerful and palpable way, then God be praised. Well, welcome. Um, we're excited to have you here. And I would like to introduce to you Pastor Michael Kelly from the Mount Rubido Church right here in Southeastern California Conference. Um, Pastor Kelly, thanks for being here. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, you know, always thank you for, you know, the invitation to come and have this important conversation. Um, I've always, you know, admired you and your ministry. I think we you know, are, are very kindred spirits when it comes to the way that we're doing our churches. I think the biggest thing is we don't wear suits when we preach. Right. <laughs> so, no. Um, but no, you know, I have a, you know, a, a young congregation, you know, contemporary congregation here in the Inland Empire. Uh, actually been here for about, you know, 10 years now. Actually going on 11, wow. you know, in July. Southern California boy. Um, graduated from La Sierra Academy. Um, so I'm what back year? Home. What year did you graduate? 97? Oh, you're much younger than I Yeah. Because I graduated from there, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, 97, 97. So, so yeah, so, you know, just, just been enjoying it. I mean, I would tell people there's only one place better than California. That's the New Jerusalem. So, right. you know, it's, it's good to be here. That's right. So give me, like, the size of your church. You're located, you're at, my mom actually lives, like, two blocks from your church. Really? In Riverside. Yeah, right off of, uh, off of, is it Central? Yeah, right, right, right off of Central. Central. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your church. Yeah, so, you know, we, we average, you know, on a low Sabbath, we're at about 800. You know, on a high Sabbath, we're about 1,100, and that's just in the building. Uh, we've got another 2,000 that watch us, you know, online that are live with us through, you know, either Facebook or our website. And, you know, we, we've really just been been plugging along. I have a staff of about, you know, four pastors, you know, along with myself. Um, and so we've just been trying to, really make this impact, you know, on the city, you know, um, and I, I, God has been good. I think anytime you've been in a place for a while, uh, it's either because they have nowhere else to send you or, you know, they're actually okay with the work you've been doing. So, you know, we, we've been growing. Um, to be quite honest, though, what I think was very interesting is there was a time where we were at about 1,600, you know, in attendance. Uh, but honestly, those were like the looky-loos. Yeah. You know, those are the ones who are like, oh, this is real cool, but oh, you really want us to be disciples. Nah, we're going to, you know, we're going to go. So, you know, we actually saw ourselves do this and then come back again because now we really have that core of who's working with us. Wow. So, you know. That's awesome. Um, we've talked a lot about 
over the years, we've said, well, we should we should switch pulpits sometimes. Yeah. And, so, and then we never have done right. that. So we need to commit to that. We have to. Point. We have to. For and now sure. it should be easier since we're recording. It's so. true. <laughs> it's true. You said to me the other day, you said, man, I'm only preaching for like 28 minutes now. It's great. Yeah. And like, that's all I ever <laughs> preach. Do. Right, right. <laughs> um, you did something at your church that I thought was really cool. You had a, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. You had a program where you were encouraging your people to go bless the businesses around your yeah. church. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so so what we do is we just want to be able to show, I think, the love of God and connect with people in a, in a very specific and tangible way that affects them. So many times we'll do like a track attack, you know, like, hey, I don't know who you are, but come to my church service, right? Or I don't know who you are, come to my evangelistic effort. Um, but we're really about building up, you know, our community. So we've only gone to two mainstream corporations for the most part. What we'll do is try to find a locally owned business. And I'll just go to them like on a Wednesday and say, hey, you're about to have 300 plus people show up to your business on Saturday night. So if you need some extra workers, we want to make sure that you're good. And so that's what we do. Um, and we'll just pick one, you know, in the Riverside Plaza we'll do, or just, you know, probably within about two, three mile radius of our church. And it's great for us to fellowship with one another. Um, but then we also just give that business business. We don't pass out tracks. Uh, we let people know who we are, you know, where we're from. Um, and we've just created a lot of inroads and connections in the community that way, even to the point where there was one business that was doing poorly. And they're like, hey, would you guys mind coming again? And so we came and we were able to help turn around, you know, their month. You as a result that's of that. awesome. So that's yeah. I always thought that was so cool, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, how did COVID hit you guys? You know, that's a that's a great, great question. I love when people ask me that. Because of the way we view church, it didn't. Um, we believed in multi, you know, media, media ministry. We believe that the church is not the building. So when COVID hit, it was actually a pretty easy transition. And I don't mean that in a, in a mean way um, because of what infrastructure we'd already put in place. Um, and so for there's some places I know they would have me out to preach and they, we would talk about these kind of things and they'd say about how hard it was, all nods and whatever. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it's like, here's the I told you so moment because a lot of those churches were scrambling, trying to figure out, you know, what to do. So COVID was actually, we hate that it happened. Um, we've served more people. As a result of doing it, you know, we're feeding over 400 people every single week in the community. Um, we're able to reach more people, um, you know, with our, you know, online. And we have more people giving their lives, you know, to Christ. Um, you know, we just have some virtual baptisms that we're about to do from our online campus. You know, we got someone in Chicago and Tulsa who have joined after COVID. And now they're getting ready to, you know, get baptized. So it, it, it's hit us in a way where it's actually shown us more what we need to be as church and that we were on the right track, so. Right. Yeah. Now, we had this conversation just a little bit and then we'll get to more of what we want to talk about, but yeah. um, what is your plan on coming back? Because we, we struggle with that. We're looking for the different, you know, timelines and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And bigger churches are having a little bit more of a hard time yeah. with that. So what are you guys, what have you been thinking? Yeah, so, you know, for us, there's a culture that we've established in Mount Rubido. And I think churches have a culture in general and Mount Rubido has one specifically. And so with all the guidelines that are in place, you know, we can't be who we are with those guidelines. Yeah. And so we said it would be inauthentic for us to come back into that space and not be who we are. Um, and so we're, we're gonna wait. And if it's September, October, even November, you know, we'll do that. Um, because 
to try and run nine services, you know, that, that's, that's, that would be a lot. And then even running that, I mean, I can't imagine, can you imagine with the beautiful music you guys have here at Crosswalk, people in masks not being able to sing? I mean, there's no way. It's, it's, it's almost mean. It's almost <laughs> exactly. mean spirit, exactly. I think. We're very much on the same track. We want to push yeah. people to homes and home fellowships and that sort of yeah. thing is the next step and the next mm-hmm. phase as things begin to um, open up. But COVID's obviously not the, the only thing that's happened over the last few months and few yeah. weeks, right. certainly. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have a primarily African-American church. Mm-hmm. And um, how have you guys been feeling about everything? And then I also want to talk about... Um, about what your experience has been in the Seventh-day Adventist Church mm-hmm. as a black pastor. And we can talk about some of some of those issues because we yeah. want to make sure that we're listening. Yeah, you know, first of all, I want to applaud you for this conversation and having it in your congregation. I mean, that's a lot of pastors and, you know, we're going to be very candid. A lot of white pastors aren't going to want to have this conversation, uh, particularly so you guys know there is no script, you know, so he's like, what is, what is he going to say? Um, so I just applaud you for that because this is where I think change and different things start to happen. Um, we've always, it's very unique with even you, when you say, you know, black church and all these things that are happening because historically throughout Adventism, Um, there's been this tension between how do we fit in with a civil rights kind of struggle um, and still be this, you know, prophetic, you know, kind of church. And that's even affected, you know, the black community. So sometimes there's this thought that, oh, it's a black, you know, these black issues is a black church. Of course, they're all for it. Um, And that's not necessarily, you know, always the case. Um, With Mount Rubidoux, totally different though. Um, This is just who I am as a person. And so just being a part of a congregation that supports that, when issues like this take place, it's like, okay, what are we doing? You know, we're with it. And not just preaching a sermon and not just being up front and saying a few prayers, but actually putting ministry and work and effort behind it. So my church is always on the front lines, you know, when it comes to that. And I'm actually proud to be able to say that um, because I, I think it's our way of showing the gospel through social justice, because the gospel is social justice. And I think that you've done, um, because you have been present in your community, mm-hmm. you didn't just show up. In right. the midst of this, you've been a, a partner, someone who's been um, having these conversations from, from your standpoint with the broader community. So I think that makes a stronger impact. Yeah, no, it does, because we're not, you know, uh, reactive. You know, we're proactive. So if, if something happened, then all of a sudden we pop up. It's like, okay. Um, we recognize that there are other issues that have been plaguing black and brown people within our community. And so we're after that with our C3. Uh, we partner with you know, my buddy, uh, Kevin Carrington, to connect with people to teach minorities how to code. You know, we're opening up our you know, computer labs where we're teaching, you know, getting kids opportunity to get tutoring. So we're already doing those kinds of things, having town hall conversations. So now when we do pop up, it's like, okay, we've seen Rubido throughout the years, they care so we can get behind that. Right. That's, that's incredible. And I got to work with Kevin a little bit when I was over at Loma Linda yeah, University. He's, he's an amazing He's guy. awesome. He's great, man. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, let's talk about, um, let's talk about race a little bit and let's mm-hmm. talk about race in the church yeah. a little bit. That's, you know, where we, where we live and die. Yeah. Right. We're, we're gospel preachers. We preach the gospel and, um, and we belong to an organization that has struggled in some respects as well. But before we jump into that, let's talk about concepts of race. I've been trying to read my, my commitment through this time is to, um, to listen, to read, to learn, and to, to see, um, where, where my heart can be cleansed and where my, where my worldview can change. 
a little bit. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me is that um, the book I just read is White Fragility, mm-hmm. which even the title yeah. gives oh. me a moment. Yeah. Gives me a moment. Yeah. And one of the things that the author said is um, I, she spoke of white people as a group. Mm-hmm. And we often we have often not thought of ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a little bit different from your community. Mm-hmm. And tell maybe maybe there's an interchange there. Yeah, um, I think here's a, the best way to, to, to explain what, what what you're saying with this idea of of even this concept of, of race in being able to understand it from another person's perspective, you know. And yeah, I applaud you for reading that book. And I know what you mean. I bought it actually in the airport. And I remember just like reading it and you're just like, you know, what are people gonna say when they see the cover of it? Um, but I think this is an example that that I, I think is is helpful. I met Michael Jackson, you know, one time. Yeah. Are you kidding? No, like straight up. Exactly. We should probably just do another <laughs> installment just for that. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna get into the into the story, but obviously that's a story you wanna tell at parties. And, you know, you want to tell everybody, hey, I met Michael Jackson, I met Michael Jackson. No one believed me. Like, no one believed me. I was with my, you know, the girl I was dating at the time. No one believed me. They didn't believe her. We had the same experience. She and I both had the same exact experience because um, we were both there. We met Michael Jackson. No one believed us until they showed us, until we showed them the picture we took, right? And so what happens with George Floyd is for eight minutes and 46 seconds, everyone saw the picture of the experience that black people in this country were telling people about. And so when we look at this idea of race, what I think is super important for us to get is I think for the first time, we saw each other all as one race. Mm -hmm. I think people saw with what happened with George Floyd, like, wait a second, that's a person there. And this is happening to this person. And for some reason, it keeps happening to this particular group of people who we actually all are part of the same thing. This isn't an episode of Star Trek. You know, there's aren't, there aren't Klingons, there aren't this, you know, we're all a part of this human race, which we have different ethnicities, but we're all a part of the same race. And I think finally what our white brothers saw is, nah, that's not okay to happen to a human being. And we're seeing that these things are happening to human beings that look differently. And why is this consistently happening? Enough is enough. And so I think that's the, the most important concept for me when it comes to race is understanding that we're all a part of the same thing. And if you want to take it further for those who are Christians, like that's the essence of what the gospel says. Right. Like we're all a part of this one thing. So Right. And I mean, who has the image of God? <laughs> exactly. Right. right. That, that was poured out to all his people. It, it, exactly. For sure. Yeah. No, so that's that's I think that's important. I think you're right. I think that was a moment. Um, a tragic and terrible moment. But um, so so let, let's deal with our, um, just because we have limited time. Yeah. Let's deal with um, how, how this affects the church from a sense of, um, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows, but like we have regional conferences yeah. within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which I believe were started in the 1940s, the mid-40s. The exact date, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but, but how those things, you know, got started, for those who don't know, and why race is an issue, you know, in our church, is, you know, the Adventist church historically fell victim to the culture of its day of Jim Crow um, and didn't embrace the gospel. But let's just call it what it is, because the gospel would never have allowed uh, regional conferences to have gotten started from this perspective. Um, a black woman went to an Adventist hospital and was denied service. Right. Like, how can a gospel people who have God's last day message or a remnant 
even remotely, like that should be the last thing that would ever happen. Right. Um, we couldn't worship in the same places. And so we're like, wait a second, we believe in this message. We believe in the word. We need to be able to do, you know, to worship and do that ourselves. So what we did is we created regional conferences so that we could, you know, worship. The gospel moved forward. Things kept getting better. Even, you know, Ellen White even said, until you find a better way, let's keep doing it this way. And the sad part is we haven't found a better way. And I'm going to be, you know, honest, which has been so interesting, which is I'm glad to have this conversation, is the conferences were started because of the racism within our church from our white brothers, right? Now our white brothers are saying, hey, end your conferences and then come join us. Huh, that's interesting. And it's interesting, as opposed to saying, hey, we got this all wrong. Let's start from scratch right. Let's and build something up new. So that even within that tells you that's interesting. some of the issues that we still have. Yeah, that's very interesting, even yeah. from a, almost a power perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm with you. I think that we should... Um, I think we should start over because I think it's time for our church to do that, yeah. just even from a, a communication standpoint, but, yeah. but certainly from that. It's, um, I, I was at a, the conference with all the conference presidents, mm -hmm. and there's a few things I didn't understand about regional conferences. First mm -hmm. of all, I didn't really know their history, and I had some, some wonderful conference presidents who kind of explained, explained that to me. Also, I'm from Southern California, mm -hmm. and we don't have regional conferences right. on this side of the United States. It's right. mainly an Eastern seaboard kind of mm -hmm. southern um, area kind of situation. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, and, and, let me, and let me say this, to, to be frank with that, because I've pastored in regional conferences the first seven years of my ministry, you know, or so, something, something like that. Um, we don't have regional conferences necessarily out here, but if you look at how we're... Organized? Organized. Yeah. It, it's the same somewhat concept. Um, because, you know, I've got a direct report for black ministries and then there's Asian ministries and there's, you know, the Latino. So we don't have it exactly like that, but there's still that, that, that concept. And I'm not trying to speak to what that might be, but there's still this right. place now, of separate. Now, let me ask you this question mm -hmm. in, in honesty. Is some of it, I mean, I think we could talk about segregation, right? Mm -hmm. But is some of it also like a worship? We're worship churches, right? Yeah. Both of our churches, churches go that. in and we worship. But they're different. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, does that, does that create that segregation or separation? Or does that, I don't know, does that dig the lines deeper? I don't know. Yeah, but I think that's such an important you know, point that you're bringing up because I actually think that speaks to the issue of racism, tolerance, and inclusivity within our church. Because if you listen to a lot of the different rhetoric about, look at our manual, the music that they would deem appropriate does not fit the African diaspora. Doesn't fit my church. No, you're right. right with rock. But you're right. You know, so, but, you're but, right. but specifically, you know, for us, you know, even the kinds of things, and I know you guys also have an expressive kind of worship style, but a lot of the things that even from the top are deemed um, inappropriate always fit, seem to fit our kind of expression and our kind of worship style. And so it doesn't simply become this idea of, oh, we just don't prefer that. It's just, no, how you guys are doing it is wrong. And so instead of us trying to you know, work through that together, it's almost like you guys have your stuff and then we'll have our stuff. And then when issues like this happen, it's like, well, that's your issue. No, that's not our issue. You know, you guys, you know, figure that out. You know, you got your music, you got your conferences, you got your worship, you figure that out. Oh, and by the way, here's the only way you should figure it out. Because, you know, we as Adventists really don't protest and we don't do that. And so you've got this group of people that has felt isolated even as far as worship, as far as sexism, as far as racism. 
and yet we're every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. So that's what makes it, it, it makes it difficult, which is why these conversations I think are so important because in order for us, I think, to impact the world, we also have to really take a look at what's inside these sepulchers, as you know, Jesus would say. And even beyond that, what's in our hearts, right? Yeah. As we, as we continue to process through yeah. an awakening that mm-hmm. I think is happening. It, it is. I mean, to look, look, look around the world. I mean, every rallying process I've been at, I've been the minority. That, that's incredible. Mitt Romney saying Black Lives Matter. I mean, something is happening in the world. And it's so funny, the church should be the one leading that. The church should be the one out front showing this gospel through how we care about all and how all are important. And what did Jesus say, you know, in Luke 4? He's like, I'm coming here for those who are brokenhearted, who are, you know, need to be set free. And there's a group of people right now that have been experiencing this for a long time. And you know, black people have been experiencing oppression in and outside of church. And we all, as prognosticators of the gospels, as one who believe in the gospel, when we see the brokenhearted, that's what we go for. You know? That's what we have to do mm-hmm. and continue to create. I, I'm so impressed with the, you know, the continual work in advocacy and in education mm-hmm. that you guys have done um, at your church to be a, to, to just be a consistent voice in the community yeah. for raising up those who are, who are oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you, we're, I have a hard time saying that we're a white church. I think mm-hmm. that's the predominant, predominant like worship culture. Yeah. But, um, you know, from Pacific Islander, Indonesian, Filipino, um, across the board, uh, we have black folk who come, uh, many who come to church mm-hmm. before they go to your church. Yeah, yeah right. I'm pretty sure. Because they're like, we could catch, we could catch that ear and then get to us. Well, we're on the way, we're on the yeah. 10, right? Yeah. So I think we get to, we get to do that. Um, <clears throat> but, if you could just speak into our hearts, what would you say? Yeah, um, I would say don't be afraid of this issue um, because it's scary. It's scary to say Black Lives Matter. Like that's scary because I know the other things that are connected to it. Um, I think it's scary in some cases to choose a side, right? Because you're going to lose you know, some, you know, friends or some influence. Like this whole thing, unfortunately, is getting about sides. It's almost like you can't say let's hold police accountable and at the same time support police, right? right? Um, and so what I would say is you have to pick a side and the side is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, in this life, there is no in-between. Jesus said, you know, you're either hot or you're either cold. And ask yourself, you know, the question, you know, as a congregation, as individuals within the congregation, the fight that I am about to engage in for equality, for justice, is that the side of the gospel or is that the side of the enemy? And when we say the enemy, we're talking about you know, the spiritual forces of darkness. And when you see that this fight is about everything that Jesus talked about, bringing his message to a community, uplifting a community, sight to the blind, you know, healing the brokenhearted. When you see that, wait a second, this gospel message is on this side. And when I bring that to this conversation, when I bring that to this argument, I'm choosing the right side. And the gospel will cause you to lose friends. The gospel is going to cause you to lose certain things. But in the end you'll gain what you need in Christ Jesus. And so to me, I would say, don't be afraid to be on the right side of what's happening here. There are a group of people who have experienced, you know, oppression and the gospel's job is to come in and set people free from spiritual and all different kinds of oppression. 
Michael, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking your time out. I know that you're busy. You've got to, anytime you call, we just got to do this. We got to do this. We do. Yeah. We do, man. And um, so thank you. Would you, would you pray? No, absolutely. Father, I thank you for uh, this conversation. That's what it is. It's a, it's a start of one. And I know we need to have many more. And God, I, I challenge that our conversations will move into actions and that we will actually just put our feet to the ground in different ways for your gospel. Because God, we know that as there's so many people who are hurting in you know, the black community right now, it's just hurting. I know your heart is even breaking even more. And so God, as followers of you, our heart ought to break for the things that breaks your heart. And so we just pray right now for Crosswalk and as they navigate. And they're in a unique position, a very diverse church with different kinds of influences. Um, and I pray right now specifically for you know the pastor as he has to navigate so much. I pray that you would give him wisdom. Um, he's got to speak into this, and he has. And, and God, I know some of the things he's going to say are not going to be popular. Um, but I know his job is not to please men, but it's to please you. So I pray that you would give him courage. I pray that you would give him the words. I pray that you would just continue to give him influence as he has so much around the United States that you have entrusted him with. And I believe, God, that Crosswalk can be a beacon of light for how these diverse uh, congregations that might not look like mine can actually be at the forefront of a conversation to exact change, not only inside of this church, but outside of the church in the world. God, I pray for us as we partner together. I believe there's something here that we can do that can make this world a better place. And so I'm honored to, to do that in conjunction with what it is that you have for us. So be with us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Kelly, thank you. Man, thanks, Blessings on you and your ministry, man. Thank you for having me.